Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. And today I have the special privilege of having Becky Clausen, IFBB figure and bikini pro, now head um, IFBB league judge, Olympia, Arnold Classic, and now international NPC worldwide event judge. Becky, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. So we have lots of questions from our audience, and um, I'm just really excited for you to be here. So can you first just start by telling us how you went pro, what year that was, and all that? It was a long time ago. I'm very old school. So I turned pro in 2007, um, before bikini even existed. Uh, before women's physique existed, before wellness, um, the only options for women were bodybuilding, fitness, and figure. So I turned pro and figure. It took about four years for me to turn pro. There were a lot fewer opportunities back then. There were maybe 20-some pro cards, I think, in that year. So there were not a lot of opportunities. Wow. So it usually was a longer road to turn pro. Um, I appreciated that, though. It definitely made me love the process. A little bit more than winning because, you know, the pro card was something that, you know, was kind of a lofty goal for most of us. So I just kind of fell in love with the process of competing. Um, and then after turning pro, I competed in pro figure until I think 2012 and then switched to bikini, which was a great choice for me. It fit me a little bit better genetically and just with as much as I had trained in my lifestyle choices at that time, bikini was a little bit better fit for me. Um, And it's why I'm such a huge advocate of people finding the division that best fits their lifestyle, their, their actual genetics and um, how they want to train and how they want to look. We have so many options for women now. I think that people can fit in all over the place. They can find a better fit than back, you know, back in the day, we only had bodybuilding. Those of us who weren't very muscular had no opportunity. So I'm a big advocate for exploring all the divisions and finding what works best for you. I love that. So as far as becoming a judge, what kind of motivated you to become a judge or what was that backstory for that whole process? I think I started in 2009 or 2010. Um, I took a year off from competing and I thought, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last. You know, am I going to come back? Am I going to just retire? And I thought, I really love this industry. I'm really passionate about it. What other ways can I get involved? And I knew coaching wasn't really an option for me. That wasn't something I was interested in. Having a a nine to five job, that would be a bit too much. I'm not creative. I can't be a suit designer. I can't do hair and makeup, stuff like that. And somebody suggested test judging. I was like, okay, I'll give that a shot. And since then, I've always told like potential future judges and test judges, you either love it or you hate it. You either love like the process of being able to judge the athletes and you're analytical and very organized in your mind. And you like sitting there through the whole process, or you just, you're too ADD. Like you can't sit there. You want to be up and move it around and involved in a different way. So I fell in love with the process, um, started judging on the local level and then gradually moved up to the national level, um, started judging in the pro league. And I was really fortunate in that they poured a lot of uh, mentoring and 
education and just experience into me. They sent me out to travel with some of our top judges, including Sandy. Um, Gary really helped me learn how to run a show from the judge's seat um, and really just gave me all the tools I needed to be successful and to be a good judge and representative of the IFBB on that level. So I kind of just started, fell in love with it and just kept asking, you know, what's the next thing I can do and growing in the sport. And luckily the opportunity was there. That's awesome. So as a female judge, I just, I wonder, you know, where you come from. So who is your district chair and who kind of helped you get started? I I heard you say Gary. So I'm assuming that's. Yes. Gary Udit. Yes, he is great at bringing up people in his district to be on his team, whether it's expediters, judges, promoters, you know, he tag teams with a lot of our up and coming promoters in our area. Um, He really gives his knowledge and expertise to anyone who wants to learn. And I think that's why we have such a solid team in the mid-Atlantic zone is that he shared everything and really set us all up for success. And I owe so much of this to him for sure. So how do you juggle with your nine to five? What's your background? If you don't mind me asking. I'm in technology. I work for a major banking firm. Um, It's definitely can be a little difficult. Luckily, um, I have a lot of vacation time, so I get to travel a lot, you know, to judge these shows. It doesn't really conflict. Um, But I do sometimes balance both like Olympia week. That's a whole week that you're there judging. And I will still log on to work and work from my hotel room if I have to. Um, But it's something that I learned while I was competing. I've always had a nine to five job and it definitely made me very disciplined and organized as far as my schedule goes, because when you know, you got to be in work for this amount of time, you know, that's helps you schedule your cardio both before and after work, if necessary, planning all your meals, taking everything, planning for extracurriculars that may come along with your job. It definitely made me really organized. And that's a skill that I still use today. I love that. It's so true. So as far as the international competitions that you've judged, what are some of the coolest places you've been with judging? Oh, gosh, I think Seoul, South Korea was really cool. Um, yeah, just a really cool city. Um, so many fans of the sport there, um, and just a a different culture. So it was really neat to visit there and experience that. Um, two weekends ago, I was in Stockholm, Sweden, which was really cool. Got to spend time with the better bodies and gasp team over there and see kind of how they design things, you know, which is kind of a little extra that goes along with, you know, judging the show. I get to see, some of the businesses and what our promoters actually do. And that's really interesting to me as someone who is kind of business minded. It's really, really cool to see that side of it as well. Yeah. I love that. So as far as getting into um, like the, the why behind everything. So what is your why when it comes to judging? Um, It's my way of giving back. Um, I feel like the sport did a lot for me. Um, I really loved it to my core. Um, and a lot of people gave a lot to me in the sport. My coach poured a lot into me, my teammates, um, Sandy, you know, just her feedback and stuff from the different shows. And really, I think I try to emulate her energy when I'm judging because she is so caring and so kind and giving 
And I can remember being on that stage and a panel full of people and she would be the only one smiling at me. And I remember how it like calmed me down. I was like, okay, everything's fine. No need to be nervous. And I try to pay that forward um, because it did so much for me and just somehow encourage some kind of, you know, positive experience from this sport. It is really a sport like no other. And um, I think there's so much opportunity for growth personally, as well as, you know, competitively and professionally. And hopefully I can somehow, you know, foster that in other people. This is my way to give back to the sport that did that for me. Yeah, I was competing at the women's extravaganza in Phoenix. And I can say that both you and Sandy are always smiling and it just does really make you feel so much better as a competitor. Um, so I appreciate that. So thank you. It's totally noticed. You know, oh, you're welcome. I'm glad so, that it makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. Um, okay, so let's kind of get into some of these athlete questions. Uh, the first question is, what do you look for in a winning bikini physique? Um, I definitely look for that hourglass shape. Um, we always say that bikini is a feminine physique built on a foundation of muscle. So there should be some muscle there, you know, not too thin, of course, um, shapely shoulders, a tight waist, um, full glutes, obviously, um, shapely legs as well. Um, we don't want to see glutes with no legs to go with it. It is a, a division that requires balance. So the muscularity and everything should be balanced top to bottom um, and also front to back. Um, not overly conditioned. That is one thing, you know, the bikini athlete should be tight and lean, but not overly conditioned. And when I say that, I think of like striated shoulders, that's a dead giveaway to me. Um, quad splits that are super deep, you know, sometimes, you know, when you walk, you can see the quads will separate a little bit, but if you're standing there and you've got deep separation there, um, that's a no-no. And then also from the back, if the glutes are too deeply outlined, I would say, we call it like etched in, um, where you can see the entire outline of the glute down into the hamstring tie-in. Um, I would say that's too conditioned. That's too hard. Like I know a lot of girls think that we really want to see that hamstring tie-in. So it affects even some of their posing and things. And that's not really what we want to see when you can see that so deeply separated from the back, it's too much for a bikini. So okay, that's something so, I really look at as conditioning. Can you tell us what you look for in the top physiques and wellness? Yes. Um, this is the division of imbalance. So a major thing that I look for that I don't want to see, I guess I should say is a physique that is too balanced where the upper body is too much. Okay. Um, we, and we still see some of that, um, inevitably with a newer division, you've got athletes coming from other divisions, trying, you know, testing the waters. And uh -huh. so we'll have figure athletes, women's physique athletes coming down to wellness because maybe it is a better fit, but they still have a little bit too much up top. And it kind uh -huh. of looks like, you know, an athlete from another division trying to fit in. So for them, they need to, you know, give it a rest on the upper body we can have development in the shoulders, like, like in bikini and maybe even a little bit more, but the focus is on the legs. It is leg development and it's complete leg development from not only the glutes, but also the quads and the hamstrings. 
Um, conditioning here, you can see a little bit more definition typically because the there's just more muscle maturity. There's more muscle there. So you tend to see a little bit more separation, but it's about all of that, having all of those aspects to the legs and then just a lot of nice fullness too. You know, that's another division where we don't want to see striations. Like you don't want to see striated quads or anything like that. Um, but you want to see nice full muscle. Okay. And then as far as when you take the approach, um, how do you approach judging between contestants with very similar physiques? So, um, you know, what are some of the elements that kind of set apart? It can be very difficult for sure, especially if they're, if they're very similar physiques, you are looking down to the minor details, like who has a more hourglass shape, um, you know, whose glutes are a little bit fuller. Um, it can come down to the overall presentation um, when it is really close and you're trying to like, in essence, break a tie overall presentation can win that for someone. I always tell girls, um, maximize what you have to work with. Even if you, your physique isn't quite there yet, present it in the best way possible because it could move you up a couple of spots. Um, making sure that your suit is flattering and fits you well. Your posing is on point. Posing is the most important. Um, your tan is correct. Your hair and your makeup flatters you. Um, you have confidence on stage. Um, when I think about like the top fives at nationals or especially like a competitive pro show, those little things are what make the difference is that that extra just overall presentation, that it factor that can really tip the scales for someone. Yeah. So when we're talking about aesthetics and things, I just think of, you know, when you're judging, let's say, for example, the master's categories, um, how do you judge like with skin issues, like if people have had babies or they have a little bit more mature skin, <laughs> that's a little bit loose. Uh, does that, if somebody has a similar physique, would that be something that would impact them? It could um, because skin tone is, you know, part of the criteria. So if that is the case, um, it could impact them, especially if it's two similar physiques and one has loose skin, one doesn't the one that doesn't have the loose skin would win if all other things were equal. Um, I do think there are a lot of options for women with that scenario though. Um, I've seen girls like change how, you know, their suit fits. Um, sometimes the suit placement, like the bottoms or whatever can help a little bit posing, um, mm -hmm. changing posing can help. Um, and also like if it's on the glutes, filling out the glutes a little bit actually mm -hmm. helps tighten up some of that skin. So there are those options with a physique. And I also love that we have so many master's competitions now too, where if that's really a concern and you want to go up against, you know, women who may have had similar experiences and have a little bit more similar physique, there's that opportunity now, which I think is great. And everyone should take that even as a pro now we've got the master's Olympia. I know. So there's so an opportunity for that. It is. It's very exciting. Are you going to be a part of that uh, for the judging? Right. I hope so. Um, we will see that list is not out yet. So I would love to. Romania is a great place to compete. Um, and Wings of Strength, who's putting on this show, they just put on fantastic shows. I've judged the Romania Muscle Fest for a couple of years now, and 
just first rate. Like the athletes are going to have a great experience. The stage is going to be awesome. They bring in their best team, a lot of whom work on the Olympia, you know, in Vegas. So it's going to be an awesome experience for everyone. That's great. So what are the, some of the national shows? I remember seeing you as the head judge at the Ben Weeder last year. Mm -hmm. Are there other shows where you're the head judge for nationals and um, that you know of for sure that are set in stone? I'm definitely at junior USA's. I'm not at junior nationals because I have an international show that weekend. Um, And the rest of the schedule is yet to be set. It kind of depends on if I'm needed elsewhere internationally um, I have been judging the Arnold Amateur and the Amateur Olympia as well, which are pro qualifiers. So I'm usually at those shows too. Okay. Okay. And then one of the other questions that an athlete had was, how do you stay objective and ab- avoid bias when judging a show? That is a great question. Um, it can be hard because I know some of these athletes and, you know, some of these athletes have been around since I competed. So I competed with them. I know them personally. Um, what my goal with judging is to uphold the standards as best as possible, regardless of who's on stage. Um, because that's what mattered to me as an athlete when I was competing, if I wasn't first call out, but I could look at that first call out and say, okay, like these athletes match. Like I get it. I get what they're picking. Even if it wasn't me, to me, it made sense. It made me feel like it was fair. So that's my goal is to make sure the judging is fair and makes sense to people. And then also, you know, I inherently avoid bias because I answer to, you know, Tyler Mannion and Jim Mannion, they're the ones that set the standard and they're the ones that essentially are my bosses and review my performance. So, you know, there's conversation with them and I have to worry about doing the right job for them and their organization over pleasing just one athlete or one promoter or something like that. Like I always say, I would never jeopardize my own personal reputation or my position by just like favoring one person over anybody else. So it's, I don't know. For me, it it can be a little difficult because you see people that you like and you really want them to do well. But every athlete that I know personally knows that they have to earn it. And I've never had anyone be upset with a placing that I know personally because they're objective too and they know where they're at and where they should probably fall in the placing. So that makes it a little easier too. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about you know, being an athlete and then being a judge, how many years were you competing actively and also judging? And I I remember talking to Sandy on our interview and she was just, there was a certain point where, um, she felt like the placing wasn't right for her when she was competing. And she was like, okay, I need to just completely do judging from here Mm -hmm. on out just so that I make sure that, you know, I don't know, there's like, just a little bit of a line there. So, Um, how do you, how do you feel about that? And how many years was that, that you kind of made the transfer? I'm trying to think, I think it was probably four or five years that I did both. Um, but when I was competing as a pro, I was not yet judging pro shows. So it was kind of easier that I was just competing as a pro judging, you know, locally, regionally, nationally. Mm -hmm. And at those decisions were kind of made separately for me. Like I knew I was pretty much done with competing and luckily I had the opportunity to keep judging. Um, 
so they really didn't like intersect as much. I will say judging really helped me understand my placings though. And made me feel like I could see what was going on. And it made me even more content with my placings, you know, just knowing from that side of the table, knowing how a show is run and things like that, like just made it easier for me. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, Okay. So another athlete question, what would you say is the biggest mistake competitors make during competitions? Um, Posing is probably a huge one. Um, It's, I always say it's not the physique you possess. It's the one you present. Um, It's what you show to us on stage that matters. You could have a great physique just standing around, but if you can't present it, you know, we can only judge what we can see. And a good example of that is um, if somebody has to hit their back pose, say it's like, you know, figure men's physique, something like that, where they, they have to pull out their lats. There are times when we know this person has a great physique from the front, you turn them around, they can't hit that shot. There are times we'll turn them multiple times, trying to give somebody a chance to really present their physique. And um, if they can't do it, you know, we have to judge based on what we see. And that's a shame. And you just really wish at that point, you're like, Oh, I just wish you would just hit your posing. Or sometimes you see a physique like in bikini where they just don't have the proper posture. Like they're kind of, they're not standing upright. They're kind of hunched over or they're not controlling their midsection. I would say that's a big one in all the divisions from bikini up to bodybuilding. You know, you have to control your midsection. Um, otherwise it it just sticks out like a sore thumb and we can't ignore it. Um, so I'd say posing is the biggest one and it's, it's important to know poses that are right for your physique. You're supposed to highlight your strengths and hide your weaknesses. Um, don't show us too much. Like it just because a bikini pro is doing a pose that looks great on her. If you don't have that physique, do not attempt that pose, you know, do what, is best on your physique. And if you only have maybe, you know, a couple of good poses, throw in some transitions and that's it. Just leave it at that. Don't show us too much. And thinking that you're going, you need to do this long presentation where you might just be showing us something that isn't good for you. It doesn't help you at all on stage. So can I ask you if, so let's say, you know, this particular show, you start with the individual um, routine. Can that, so I know Sandy, sometimes she'll tell me that she, when she does the comparison round, she kind of gives everybody a letter grade. And then when they mm-hmm. do the individual, it's like an A plus an A and a minus. And it's kind of like yes. how they land in the, the call outs. Um, how do you, how does that impact it when they start with the individual? And then I guess, how's your process mentally when you're going through, um, call outs and kind of scoring people. Cause I know it goes so fast. I just, yes. National panel judges so much credit because there's so many people in this competition. So just how do you, how do you keep the, all that organized in your mind? Well, if it's a big class for me, I will ask that they bring everybody out in groups first okay. for comparisons. Um, I think that's important. It's important for me, um, especially if there's crossovers, I need to see how the crossovers fit. Like maybe they're not presenting again, but they're in a new class. So I need to see like, where are they going to rank in this group? And for me, it's about seeing the depth, the quality of the class. Um, 
it's really hard to put people into call outs if you have 30 people and say they're all really good. So like I'm marking first call out for the top, you know, the first six. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got 24 other people to look at. Yeah. They're all going to be in first call out. So it helps to know the quality of the class. And for me, I do something very similar to Sandy. And I think most of us judges do um, in slotting people where we think they'll go, but the comparison or the individual is what solidifies their call out. Um, And for me, if it's, it's a super big class, I'm just looking for who do I think can be my first call out to get an idea. And then I watch every individual routine to decide where they're going to go in the call out. So both do matter. I actually saw, I think a coach posted something on this a few weeks ago, like, Oh, the comparisons are the only thing that matter. The individual doesn't matter at all. It's like, I hope nobody believes that because they definitely matter. That is how I'm deciding and finalizing everything. That's how we all do it. Okay. Yeah. So do you ever feel like sometimes when you mark something down and then you see everybody on the diagonal and you're just like, oh my gosh, I totally missed that person. Or um, does that happen quite a bit? I would like to say no. um, Because most of us are working together to make sure we don't miss. Um, Because the head judge controls a lot of the call outs, but we, the panel judges hand in their top fives, which we all pay attention to. Um, And there can be, if you've got four people wanting to see this athlete and you didn't mark them down, you take a look and that is what prevents us from missing people. Okay. Um, we also, if we do miss someone and it's just, it's egregious, like this person could win this class, we call people back out or we will rejudge at finals or take another look at finals if we need to. Um, we just don't want to miss somebody that, you know, deserves a certain placing just because it was our oversight. Um, I think a good example of that was, I think it was the Chicago pro last year in pro bikini, Amy um, Delgado was Mm -hmm. in the second call out. And looking at that, it was like, she stuck out like a sore thumb because she was so good. And I was like, okay, we need to make this right. So called out the next group of girls that were above her and kept moving her and moving her and moving her. And she, I think wound up in the top four and rightfully so, because we saw and we're like, no, this, this athlete deserves to be a little bit higher. Let's figure out where she does go. So, so we do as much as we can to avoid that with the pros, just for listeners that don't know, so you can educate them. They do the call outs in a different order than the amateurs. So we first call outs for us. Isn't it on the, is it on the confirmation round that it goes backwards? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Um, sometimes we'll go the same way as like prejudging does, um, Mm -hmm. if we're taking another look at it and we may need to adjust scores. Um, so say it's really close, like between two girls, I might call them out first just so we can take a look. And then we have time to adjust the scores if a change is needed. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we kind of just build up to, you know, the top and do it in reverse order for the pros and the confirmation at finals. Okay. And you're, is it pretty common that a pro in the confirmation round, their placement will change? Or do you find that that's not as common? It's not as common. Um, Of course, bodybuilding is a little bit different because, you know, their, their physiques can change. And especially if you've got a show going over a day, you know, Mm -hmm. they could look totally different at finals and that really matters. Um, 
I would say it's probably only if there's a question about the winner, like if they're very close and, you Mm -hmm. know, we will just, we'll make our decision at prejudging, but we will often say, we're going to take another look at finals just to make sure it's right. And usually it is, it's supported and it's, you know, they come in looking the part again and it just confirms our decision. Um, It would only be if someone came in really off that I would say their placing would really change. Okay. And you would probably say that at the amateur level as well in between if somebody just blew their diet in between. Yes. Yeah. And actually that is something that is really important um, because it can change. And, you know, for the pros, we are looking to confirm our decision. It's only a few hours, you know, keep yourself together. Don't Mm -hmm. just bank on, you know, you, I was center spot and prejudging. I'm good. Don't do that Um, because we will take another look just to confirm. And especially um, for pro cards, you know, if it's tight there, we had a situation where, um, women's physique, I think it might've been North Americans or something. Um, one girl was the clear winner. We come back for finals. She had eaten or something and totally spilled over. And her physique was totally different. The other girl had tightened up oh, and it wow. was like, that was, that was such an extreme change. It's like, we can't award a pro card to this now because this is a totally different physique. It, so it does matter. And you know, if it is close, you can definitely do yourself well by keeping yourself together making sure your posing still on point at finals, your look is on point. Um, it might help you out in that kind of situation. Okay. And then another question from an athlete is how do you prefer to give feedback? Do you like the athletes to come up and talk to you immediately after the show, or would you prefer them send an email? I like to talk to athletes. Um, I know it's a long day. And everyone's been there for a long time. Um, I feel like I can communicate more to the athletes um, right when I'm talking to them face to face. And sometimes like if they're still in their suit and the, it's like a posing thing, I can say, well, hit your pose and kind of adjust them in person. Um, it's also very helpful if they're going show to show. Um, it can take me a while to get back to people because I do, you know, show after show after show week after week. And I also have, you know, my nine to five job. So email mm-hmm. can be a little slower and especially for athletes that are going like from one national show to the next, like junior USA's or say they're doing a regional show to qualify and the next week going to junior nationals. I always say, talk to the judges. You need your feedback that day so that you can make any adjustments. Um, You're probably not going to get your photos or feedback in time to do anything if your show is that close. So I would say in-person is preferred. And, you know, I know a lot of times we're all very tired, but I think it just, it knocks it out while it's fresh in our mind. And then they can take that information and go right back to work. Awesome. So can you explain what the differences are just so that um, I guess athletes and coaches can understand when you give a certain type of feedback, kind of how much time is actually realistic to make those changes? What are certain keywords that are like, okay, this is going to take, you know, some time. Obviously, if you say you need to build all over, we know that that would take some time. You wouldn't go and jump in another show. Um, But what's what kind of, can you kind of differentiate between different types of feedback you give and then kind of what that means? Yeah, I, I do try to ask athletes, like, what are you doing next? Um, a lot of times athletes will say, well, what do you think about me doing this show? 
and then we'll talk about it based on their feedback. Um, when I say like, you know, you just need to mature, you know, you just need a little more shape all over. They kind of know that's like an off season type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of my feedback to athletes is, um, the look that I want to see. And then it's very key for the athlete to go back, to talk to their coach about that feedback and see what they can do with it. Um, I'll say to athletes, you need to be fuller. Sometimes, um, the coach will know, oh yeah, well, you were flat at this show. So we can, you know, manipulate your peak week a little bit so that you come in a little bit fuller. Sometimes it's not so much about like muscle development. It's about changing how they peak them or filling them out a little bit. So when I say that, and sometimes girls will say, well, how do I do that? And it's like, that's something between you and your coach. Cause I don't really know what your protocols are now, but if you mm -hmm. can tell him I need to be fuller, they should know how to make that happen for you. They know your body, they know what you've been doing. And if this is the desired look, they should know the changes to make to get you that look. Um, if we say come in tighter, that's something that is definitely doable, you know, within the season, a lot of times it's just girls continuing to diet, you know, if they're not quite there, um, it's like stay on the diet, you know, pick another show, maybe in four weeks, see how you do, um, tightening up is always doable within the season. Um, usually more development, like when we say more maturity or you need more like upper glute or you need more upper body, that's the stuff that takes more time. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. As far as pet peeves that you have, I think you do such a good job of educating people on social media, just on what some of the things that they should avoid doing. Are there any things that you just really bug you as a judge when you see it? Um, I think overly extravagant posing routines, um, you know, there's no need to, some of the pros do it, but they, they're at a level where that is kind of their persona, you mm -hmm. know, that it fits with them and it seems to flow and they have more room and time to do those things. I think that on an amateur level, you really don't need, you know, a lot of grand gestures, you know, moving your hair around a whole bunch. You don't need to do that. Um, and I think it can sometimes hurt an athlete. Um, I think, you know, of course, bending over too far at the waist is always a big one that we don't like. Um, we are seeing less and less of it, thank goodness, which makes me happy because it's it's not flattering on the physique. It's not really appropriate, you know, for the audience. And it's just not something that it doesn't highlight anything we want to see on the physique. Um, I think another thing that sometimes makes me cringe as of late is bikini bottoms that are too low in the front. I know we're always talking about the back. You've got to have enough okay. coverage. Yeah. Um, but sometimes girls get these suits that are really low in the front and it makes me worry. Like there's going to be a wardrobe malfunction. Like, I hope that yeah. thing is glued down there. Um, and I don't know if it's just, you know, they didn't get a suit that was made exactly for their physique, or maybe they're borrowing a suit. Um, you know, everybody's torso length is a little bit different. So a suit that's too low in the front is going to elongate your torso. It, it probably isn't going to look right. Um, or the suit just doesn't have enough fabric. Maybe it's pulled up high in the back and then you just don't have enough for the front. Um, it really can be distracting and it's not super flattering on a physique. So I've been seeing more and more of that. And that's something that I would like to see less of for sure. 
So I saw a recent post from Amy Delgado where she, her first show at the clash, she had uh, the traditional bikini bottom. And then I think it was Wasatch or something, whatever her next one was, she did the wellness bottom. So it was like a V Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just the side-by-side photo of how her abdomen looked, but also just how, for whatever reason, it kind of like was gapping a little bit at the skin with the traditional I thought it looked, it was really just like a small detail that, um, I guess, I don't know. Have you seen a lot of that where people wear the wellness cuts and, um, in bikini? I I haven't, but I'm certainly not against it because it really should be about what flatters your physique. Um, and just, you know, what fits your body, I guess the best, you know? So something like that, I, I didn't notice a huge difference, but I know her physique looks great in her suits. Like it frames her physique so well. So like that subtle difference was probably a good thing. You know, you don't want it to be so different that we're looking at your suit. Like what the heck kind of suit is that? Like it should be, you know, somewhat standard. Um, but certainly if it flatters your physique, then all the better. And for wellness, um, for sure. I like that for most of them, it flatters them to have more of a V in the front, just because it highlights their small waist and then their really curvy legs on the bottom. That's usually a really good cut for them. Okay. Yeah. She has a lot, very muscular legs for bikini. I mean, it's gorgeous, but yeah. So maybe that's why it fits her better. I don't know. Uh, what other, are there any trends that you're seeing this year? And you had mentioned hair too. So I kind of wanted to go on that, um, a little bit about like with bikini and wellness. Um, so I've, I've noticed like people with, um, shaved head, like on the side where it's like not symmetrical in the back and some people like their hair is too long. Um, you'd mentioned that some of the things with the hair bothered you in terms of posing. So I don't know if you had any comments about hair. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that over the last few years, we've seen more diversity in hair. Like you see different styles and you see people going with something that more suits their personality on stage. I think that really has a huge impact. Um, if you're not comfortable with how you look on stage, it's going to show your, it's going to show in your confidence, your posing, everything. Like we can feel that we can pick up that vibe. Um, I know competitors I competed with, they would wear wigs sometimes because they had shorter hair and they mm-hmm. hated them. And you could tell. And once they started going with like their natural hair or just changing it up to something they liked better, they, their whole performance changed on stage. So I highly encourage, you know, going with something that you're comfortable with and something that you want to, you know, walk around looking like every day, you know, certainly don't change your hair for the stage. Um, If someone wants to go with extensions, um, just make sure they're, they're blended well, everything looks neat and, you know, well put together. That's the idea is to look, you know, healthy and fresh up there and to have a good polished appearance. So of course, whatever you do with your hair should look polished. Um, The risk with short hair is that in bikini, you show your back, um, which is not judged. Like muscularity in the back is not judged. That's another reason I tell girls, if you have long hair, don't move your hair because we don't want to see your back. And chances are, if you're not 100% perfect on your muscularity and your conditioning, we'll find something that we don't like. 
you know, if you're a little soft, you may have a couple of rules back there, or if you, you're too hard and you've got too much development, we'll see that and it will affect your placing. So the risk there is that you show your back, but I've seen several athletes on both the pro and the amateur level do well with short hair because everything matched, everything flowed, their conditioning was right. Their muscularity was right. And really their presentation was just so confident. I think because like they liked the look that they were bringing to the stage. So I absolutely suggest that, you know, to go with whatever they're most comfortable with. Um, And then on the opposite end too, you can have hair that's too long. Um, I think we had a girl in the Arnold amateur, a, a full season ago in 2022, really long hair where it covered the top of her glutes. Um, that her saving grace was that she would move it a little bit in her posing so we could actually see her glutes. But when it came time for her to compete as a pro, it's was like, yeah, you probably need to do something about that. Cause it's just, it's covering a part of the physique that we actually do need to see and judge. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind, even if you're wearing extensions, make sure they're not too long. So I get the question often about redheads. Mm-hmm. I feel like as a coach, it's a little too close to the tan color. Um, but what are your thoughts when you see a redhead up there? It can be difficult for sure. Um, there are a few that do it well. I forget her last name. I think it's a pro. Her name is Lizzie, I think, maybe. Okay. Um, there are a couple that do it well. Um, the key is your point. You have to be able to balance the tan and make sure you're not all in color. So I don't know if that is, you know, deepening the tan or maybe balancing it with the right suit. Um, we do see redheads that do it well, but I think it is like making sure all of that is right. And it's all coordinated. Um, also we see athletes with like, it's almost, it's not magenta, but it's like, it's a red hair dye that you can tell. It's like meant to be mm-hmm. red, red. It's not like natural red hair that can yeah. work too. As long as I think the big key with other like alternative hair colors, whether it be blue, green, pink, whatever, the hair should look healthy. That's my biggest point to people. Like if you're going to do it again, it needs to match skin tone, suit, tan, all of that, but make sure your hair looks healthy. And I think that can be pulled off as well. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Um, I think that's a lot of the questions. Were there any other trends that you've been seeing just this year that you feel like are different than last year or? Um, I'm not sure that I see anything. Well, okay. There is one, um, jewelry, dangly jewelry, dangly bracelets. Um, I did notice like we have a, a really successful pro, um, in Europe who wears one. She can pull it off because her physique is really stellar. It's still not my favorite accessory, um, but I've started to see some amateurs wear like the really dangly jewelry bracelets and things. And just on jewelry in general, anything that you're wearing with your suit, it should just complement it. But if we're staring at your jewelry, then it's too much. You want us to look at your physique. Right. So anything, your arm is out here and you've got something dangling off of it. It's distracting for us. You know, there is no hard and fast rule about jewelry. I know a while ago there was some rumor like, oh, you should have a bracelet on each wrist because it balances you. And like, I don't think that's true at all. Like you can wear the jewelry you like, but I would say make sure it just kind of blends in with the rest 
of your stage look so that it's not all we're looking at. And I think that kind of goes for shoes as well. Um, I get a lot of questions of, do you like just clear heels or do you like the bling on them? And Mm -hmm. I say, do what you like, but I mean, I wouldn't go so over the top. I see some shoe designers now selling shoes with like colored rhinestones and things. I'd probably stay away from that for the same reason that it's a little too distracting for us as judges. You don't want us to be looking at your feet. Right, right. If you like the look, then that's fine. But you can go with a simple, clear heel. It's it's not going to mark you down or anything. If you want to go simple, then do simple. Are there any colors of suits that just really like grind your gears that you're just like, oh, she <laughs> looks so much better in this other color? Or are there any ones yes. that people should stay away from? Well, I mean, the classic like pastels are not good. White is certainly bad. Just I don't know how anyone gets on stage with it not getting stained by the tan. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's something that you see like first time competitors doing Um anything that is pastel just really fades under the bright lights. There's a reason we always say go with jewel tones because they stand out um, against the tan. They stand out under the lights. They look good in photos. Um, We're now starting to see more pink. probably because Maureen wore pink (laughs) at the Olympia, which I love. It looks great on some people, but they're going with a brighter pink. They're going with something that is um, that stands out a little bit more against the skin, not the baby pink, the pastel pink. Um, Yellow's really hard to pull off. I think we're moving away from that trend. That was a trend maybe about five years ago or so. Mm -hmm. Um, Also saw some black. Black is also very hard to pull off. Um, Again, it just kind of fades in. And um, interestingly enough, I think that if you wear a black suit and say you're a little too muscular, or too hard, too lean, it makes you look even more so like, it's just, I think, you know, human psychology, when you're wearing, you know, maybe a less harsh color, you just your physique looks a little less harsh. So um, I'd I'd say stay away from black, as well, that that can be risky, for sure. Okay. So as far as talking about marine, you know, what should we be looking for now that she's the standard of bikini? I mean, what were some things that maybe have changed since previous uh, Olympians and things like that. So I love that you asked this because really nothing has changed as far as the standard. We're always looking for, you know, everything that's listed in the criteria, which is shape built on a foundation of muscle, um, you know, round shoulders, full round glutes, um, the things we're not looking for. We don't want um, extreme separation. We don't want striation. We don't want a lot of vascularity or graininess. Um, no capped shoulders, um, no etched in glutes. That's always been the criteria, you know, since it really started. Um, she has that criteria. Like, I feel like when people think, oh, the standard has changed. Well, no, if you look at all of these things, she has everything listed and she doesn't have any of the things that we don't want. Um, the same could be said for Jen Dory the year before. Exact same. Like if you look at her, really nice round shoulders, but no cap on them. Really nice full glutes, but not that extreme tie-in. That really pretty shape that was not overly conditioned. The difference is, is these are just two different girls, different bodies. It's the same criteria and they meet the same criteria. 
just two different physiques. And I think that people get confused with that because they're trying so hard to look like that pro. And it's like, you should embody those same guidelines and requirements, but however it shows up on your physique. I've heard Tyler say it before, you know, don't try to be, you know, a Jen Dory if you're not Jen Dory. You have to be mm-hmm. yourself and develop your physique to your potential and your genetics. And to me, it's like a checklist, like go down the checklist. Like, do I have a well-developed, you know, shapely upper body? Do I have like a nice waist that curves in that hourglass shape? Are my glutes full and round? Do I have, you know, the upper, the middle, everything to complete that? Do I have shapely legs? Am I conditioned in a way that, you know, I have abs, but they're not deeply etched in, you know? Do I have vascularity? No. Do I have striations? No. Do I have deep separation? No. Like those are the things that should be applied to every bikini physique. And if you can say you've hit all the marks and haven't done any of the things we don't want to see, then that's what you present and that's what will be rewarded. So I wish there was a simpler way to explain it. Cause I know after the Olympia, everyone's like, Oh, we've gone softer and this and that. And it's like, no, it's just, it's just a different, physique it's still the same criteria and really it was so close between her and Jen I mean we could have gone with Jen too they both exemplify the criteria so much um it's just just shows up a little different on each of their physiques can you talk a little bit about if you feel comfortable talking about how Laura Lee jumped places so much um in a short amount of time for the Arnold Yeah, she took her feedback from the Olympia and really did what we asked. She, her legs were thin at the Olympia. And like what I said before, she's always had great glutes, like just impressive, incredible glutes, but we don't want to see athletes too thin. And sometimes we see, you know, based on genetics, sometimes a girl will try to bring her lower body down and everything doesn't come down with it. Like something like what happened with her, her legs got too thin. And she was no longer balanced on the lower half. Okay. So we said legs have to be a little bit fuller so that everything, you know, looks a little bit more symmetrical and everything just matches. And she did that. She came into the Arnold and did exactly that. Her conditioning was really on. She was really nice and full. And so, you know, to your point and what we were talking about earlier, her coaches were able to take that feedback and say, okay, this is not like a muscle problem. We're Mm going to fill you back out and just make sure that in your next prep, we just don't get too small on the legs. And she did that and she looked great. Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I heard that she gained nine pounds in between. And that could be very true. Um, A lot of that I'll tell people right off. A lot of that is just in how you, you peak and coming uh-huh. in for a show and how you prep. Um, you know, I lost nine pounds from where I had to go in figure to where I had to go in bikini. But okay. a lot of that was me coming into a show flat. I came from figure. So I, I couldn't be very full in bikini. I had to look softer. So I didn't eat much going in. So a lot of it for me was just how much food was I eating going into a show? And so for her, it was just filling her muscle back out. She, I'm sure she was eating more. and everything. And that makes sense. I would expect, you know, a weight gain and stuff and for her to hold Mm -hmm. on to some of that fullness. So that makes perfect sense. Awesome. Well, you've been such a wealth of knowledge, so many good nuggets. Uh, Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would want to share with our audience? 
Um, I think we covered it. I'm super glad you asked about Maureen with the Olympia because people have been thinking the criteria has changed when it hasn't. Um, and I really, I think that her as an example and also Jen and really the top four at the Olympia, top six at the Olympia, just are such good examples of how we've got all these different physiques, but they've got the same level of muscularity and conditioning. And I think that should be the goal for our athletes. Um, don't focus overly on conditioning. I think that's probably the biggest statement that people took from the Olympia. Like all of a sudden they thought we went soft, which we didn't. But she, Maureen so perfectly exemplifies the fact that it should be full round tight muscle without the over conditioning. Um, in the mm -hmm. States, I tend to see girls coming in too hard, which is something we definitely don't want to see. Um, so avoid that. And keep in mind when you're looking at photos, stage photos, everybody tends to look a little sharper in the photos on stage than they do in person. So keep that in mind. If you're trying to get stage lean based on stage photos, you're probably going to overshoot, you know, okay. go by what you see in person at the shows, listen to your coach. Don't overdo it because that, that really can affect your placing in a really negative way. That is not the look we want to promote for bikini. So that's it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Great way to close. So if you can share with our listeners how to uh, find you on Instagram or how to reach out if they have further questions or just to give you love and tag you on their stories that they listened to the episode and appreciated it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at FitProBecky. Um, that's probably the best way to find me. I post most things on there. I do most of it in my stories. But um, yeah, I like to follow other people, especially, you know, athletes I see compete and stuff. And I always check the tag photos. I like to see what people are doing and, you know, how they progress. It's it's really cool. So I welcome any of that. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. And if you would like to find us on Instagram, you can go to at Prep Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. And if you would like to apply for your unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the Get Started button. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, signing off. Thanks for listening, guys.